Welcome to episode number 22 of the Circles Off podcast. I'm Rob Pizzola, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. And this week, we welcome in another guest, a good friend of mine. You can follow him on Twitter at Suma, S-U-U-M-A 810-810. Also trackable on Betstamp, at Fabian Somer, his full name. Uh, Local bookies know him as the Dusseldorf Destroyer for all the damage he does in the NFL to the local bookies over there. But seriously, four seasons of publicly documented uh, great record keeping where he's returned at least a seven and a half percent ROI in the NFL, which is outstanding. Uh, dude, that's very passionate about closing line value and a co-host of mine on the uh, Matchbook podcast, which is renewed again this year. Fabian Somer, welcome to Circles Off. How are things? What an intro, Rob. Thanks, guys, for having me. Um, after Rufus and Spanky the past couple of weeks, I think I have some big shoes to fill. Uh, but it's an honor to be here, and um, I feel very welcomed by you. I was debating uh, whether to go with Dusseldorf Destroyer or Dortmund Destroyer, but I wanted to go like not with a, a, a huge major city, so I, I went with Dusseldorf instead, but I, I completely butchered it, and now I feel like I, I made a mistake. But uh, how are things in Germany, Suma? How's the summer been? Uh, very shitty in terms of weather. Um, I think like since the start of July, we had like five or six real summer days uh, today it was uh, 12 degrees or 10 degrees something like that very cold for, for an august day that's driving me nuts basically um, you cannot even go outside after work so that's very shitty but everything else is fine um, COVID has cooled down here over here uh, vaccination rate is around 60 percent so um, I think it could be worse well, bad weather is just more time to focus on prepping for NFL season, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, Suma, we got the season right around the corner. Uh, we know everybody's fired up for that. Uh, but uh, unlike, like you mentioned, our previous two guests, um, I haven't heard you on too many podcasts. I know I've heard you before, but uh, we wanted to give you a chance here to kind of tell your story, uh, you know, how you came up and why you're so passionate about football and betting. Uh, so um, betting started very early when I was like 17 or 18 years old. Uh, I think it was around 2008, 2009. And in Germany, we always had betting available to us. Um, there were also some online bookies like BWIN, Bet365 that had European licenses and that were able to basically uh, run their business for, for German customers. So um, there was never an issue with legalization and um when i became 18 i was playing poker for a couple of years not with any stakes just with some friends at poker stars we had that chris moneymaker poker boom where also german broadcasts and tv channels were um broadcasting all those um, world series of poker european poker tour and so i was always hooked with gambling in general and then when i got 18 um pretty much on the first or second day i signed up at one of those online bookies and i was depositing like 100 bucks and i was um pretty much firing some 10 20 bucks live bets on um women greek uh, volleyball um race to 10 and whatever just getting down um some stuff um and that's pretty much how i got to to um betting in general and then I think around 2009, it was the Super Bowl Cardinals against Steelers. I think that was in 2009. Uh, that was my first real Super Bowl that I watched. 
and I found that sport very interesting. And um, that upcoming season, I started watching more and more. Um, and I, I also became a Jets fan, so to speak, because in Germany, we had that sitcom King of Queens. And right. Doug Heffernan <laughs> is a big time New York sports fan and Jets fan. And somehow I just took that over from that uh, sitcom and I just started watching more Jets games in general. Those were the Rex Wine years where the Jets were very good with a great defense. And suddenly in 2009, I got completely hooked with football in general. And I started watching it every Sunday. We had a, a German broadcast that was streaming um, ESPN. So you were able to watch um, NFL pretty much every Sunday. And at some point, I was also throwing money on some NFL games. And uh, that was probably in the early 2000, um, uh, 2010, somewhere around that range. And that's pretty much how I got started in betting and betting on the NFL. It's an interesting story. I think it mirrors mine in a lot of ways because I also got started in, in gambling because of the Chris Moneymaker uh, poker boom. And that lasted for about a year for me. And then um, I be, you know started betting like a degenerate. I'll, I'm basically, I, I don't think I was going to like Greek women's volleyball or anything like that. I don't think I ever went that deep, but I was betting on like the closing digit of the Nakai index and like stock markets and stuff, real degenerate stuff. That's arguably but, worse, actually. Oh, it's it's so much worse because like it, 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 I was so bad that, and I hate to turn this about me, but like it's one. Of, I was one of those guys that would pull data of like the last, you know, 300 days of closing prices and thought I actually had an edge because the last digit was, you know, a nine, 30% of the time. Anyways, I don't really want to get into that phase of my life. I'm past that. But what I want to ask you, Suma, is you, you very much quickly, I guess, um, went from someone who's betting small stakes. I don't want to necessarily call you a degenerate, but just trying to throw your money down rec recreationally to eventually someone who's doing this seriously and someone who's actually got a bona fide edge in a sport where, frankly, if you ask 99% of the bookmakers on the planet, they would book anyone in NFL at any time, even higher than 99%. How does someone go from you know, making that leap to uh, from, from that recreational better to someone who's taking this very seriously and eventually doing it for a living? Uh, so I think there was a lot of luck involved and a lot of positive variance and a lot of randomness because um, in the early 2010s, I was, I was posting in a private forum um, where I just started when I had free time, I was posting my picks, my 50 euros picks at the time. And I was just um, starting to write about my thoughts on the games just like that, because I always loved writing. Um, and just to to spend some time, I started posting my thoughts in, in a forum. And in 2014, I started posting all my picks and analysis publicly in the Covers NFL forum. Um, and that season was my best season against the spread. Um, I was betting like peanuts at the time, but I, I hit like 62% against the spread on like 140 picks or something. And suddenly my uh, weekly threads had like 25,000 visits or something. And that time I realized, oh, that seems to be a big market and people want to read content. They want to get picks, but they also want to uh, read content because I, I, I thought at the time, there's a niche market for uh, people who post their picks online, 
but also give some sound analysis or at least explain their thought process because 95% of the time people just give out their picks or tell you something about um, terrible trends that uh, don't even matter. And at that season, um, I had my best record and I don't know whether I would have continued to post my picks and do all that analysis on NFL if I had a losing season at that time. Maybe I would have thought, oh, okay, that's a waste of time. But because I had that great season, I thought maybe there's a chance for more. Keep, keep doing it. And I kept doing it. And um, at the time, I was stopping throwing all my money on stupid soccer parlay cards. And I just started to uh, work with a small bankroll entirely on the NFL. And that was doing pretty well. And that, that's basically how it, how it went going. For uh, for all the listeners who are listening and, and for full transparency purposes, Suma does run a subscription service where he sells his place. So that's something we're going to get into a little bit later. But Suma, what I'm interested in was, is you have that amazing season in 2014 on the covers forum. Did you realize you had an edge at that time? Or did you start to think to yourself, I can monetize by selling these plays without knowing that you had an edge? Or maybe it was just a combo of both um it was more the latter i i would say i was very stupid at the time and i didn't really know anything i just thought that um i'm just good at this uh without really um having the 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 thought process about quantifying that edge i didn't know anything about closing line value i just thought that um maybe i'm just a good handicapper and i understand what i'm doing and um, maybe i can hit 60 percent again in 2015 so that was my my thought process i was really stupid at the time um, but i also um in that year already saw the chance that at some point you could maybe monetize it because i was building a following and i saw very um many people going tout um, who just had one good season or who were just um, spraying their picks all over the covers NFL forum. And once they had a good streak, they were uh, saying, uh, right now I'm, I'm starting to sell all my picks and not posting them anymore. Um, but at the time I found out that there might be a pretty good market for people who have a solid uh, track record of picks, but also provide content where other people find value in. And that was uh, always my goal in mind um, that I could someday monetize it. How did the 2015 season go, if you remember? <sighs> something like 70, 60, um, okay. somewhere around 54%, something like that. So you would have made money um, that season as well, I guess, and every other season since, I'm assuming. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. Um, you pointed out the closing line value uh, comment uh, there, which is I, I always find interesting. Um Again, I don't mean to harp on this uh, myself, but just a personal story. I mean, my friends, my closest group of friends know what I do for a living. And I try to explain to them the importance of closing line value and betting and betting concepts. And it seems for a lot of people just to go in one ear and completely out the other. And a lot of people who are selling picks in this industry right now, um, it's mainly about wins and losses and how many units that they've won. And what originally drew me to you in the first place, and I, I probably took notice of your Twitter account maybe roughly three years ago, was you were the first person that I knew of that was tracking their closing line value in addition to their ROI, which is very rare in this space. Um, but 
it's it's not something that is just intuitive to people the importance of closing line value like how did you come across that because again as a recreational gambler i find that uh, especially if you're talking three or four years ago there's not a lot of great content available to you like how, how did you how did you learn that that was valuable I think it was in 2017 or let's say between the two, 2000, 2016 and 2017 seasons. And I owe a lot um, about what I've learned about betting to True Poker Joe. Uh, he's at True Poker Joe at Twitter, very sharp guy. And he wrote that book Sharper. And that book was really my kickstart into really understanding sports betting. Um, he has like 19 or 20 chapters where he goes through every technical aspect of sports betting, like um, explaining how sharp handicapping works, what we are really betting on, the importance of line value, the importance of every single point that you can uh, beat the market against on NFL or NBA what, or whatever, Kelly criteria, really everything. And um, that was really, after reading that book, where I really understood, hey, I had a completely, completely false view on sports betting all the time. I just thought that you could fire away on, on any number just because you like any side. For instance, in, in 2016, I wouldn't have cared one bit about whether I could bet the Packers minus six or minus six and a half. I would just say, hey, I like the Packers in that matchup, uh, uh, angle B, C, uh, A, B, and C, but I don't care whether I can get minus six or minus six and a half. And um after reading Sharpa, which is really a high recommendation, I, I can recommend the book to every better that is just starting um, because it really gives you a clue about all the technical aspects of sports betting. And True Poker Joe himself, he's not a, let's say, closing line value fanatic. He's also more um, on the side that you don't need closing line value if you have a consistent and uh, reliable return on close. Um, but after reading that book, you, you really grasp the importance of any given point no matter what sports you're betting on and that's really when i grasped um the concept of closing line value that's really interesting um you you mentioned uh, it's it's hilarious whenever i hear it and i didn't know this before but getting into the nfl because of king of queens i think is a pretty hilarious story uh but you're obviously based in germany where i mean soccer or for you football um european football is pretty massive a lot of other sports played there um have you ever considered modeling out or handicapping any other sports like what is it about the nfl that um you, you've stuck to that and um is there any consideration to moving on to other things Yes, yeah, so I would say that um, it's an advantage and a disadvantage at the same time for me because the advantage the advantage is that I can basically spend 360 days a year um, researching and thinking about the NFL. But the disadvantage is that I don't have any other sports where I could make any more money um, simply by volume. Let's say um, if I if I were betting um, college basketball uh, with an edge, that would be pretty solid to earn more money. But I don't have that, and I can't can't really tell you why. Um, it's just that other sports don't really interest me. Um, last year, I wanted to dig into college football. Um, I think in 2018, I learned coding and programming in R, and I and I also was um, playing around with some NFL betting models. And I thought that I could maybe try to build a college football model and just see how it goes. Um, but then the pandemic hit, and I realized that. If you don't follow that sports closely and um, 
you can't really build any reliable possibly any reliable reliable model when there are so many COVID opt-outs and you um, can't really um, differentiate between which injuries matter or which opt-outs matter and so on. And then I just um, said, I'm not going to do it and I haven't tried it since. Yeah, I can completely understand that. I mean, there's so many teams, um, there's so many games. And, and I think when there's college and NFL overlapping as someone who really specializes in NFL, the thought of doing college as well can be very overwhelming to some. Um, I know lots of people focus on one or the other. I don't think that's very uncommon. Yeah. So I know, especially with originating Suma, it's, you know, it's tough to grind out every single market. Like Rob mentioned, if they're on at the same time, uh, it's tough. So it's, it's cool that you only do one sport. I think, um, you know, you mentioned it's an upside and a downside. Um, but, but it's, it's exactly that because now your, your focus is on originating and that's it. Um, so on that, you mentioned, you know, you started with R, uh, back in 2018, learning how to code you obviously before that, you know, maybe it wasn't a financial model or things like that, but you're still looking at modeling the game. So my, my question for you is from the time when you started betting, uh, all the way up to now, and let's, let's call it the prep for this preseason and this off season, you know, what's changed in your betting model and maybe walk us through kind of what you incorporate in now, uh, that gives you an edge on the NFL. Um, so I always love to deal with numbers and statistics. And, um, I have also written my bachelor's and master's thesis on, um, sales forecasting and optimize and optimizing, optimizing, um, forecasting models, uh, in the sales business. And so I always had that passion to work with numbers, look into numbers, uh, try to figure out what is signal, what is noise and, um, that's also how I got started in, um, into foot, uh, NFL betting back in, let's say, 2011. Um, I always was looking at numbers um, and I was basically trying to figure out um, what is the true performance of any given team in the NFL? What is their true performance over the past couple of, couple of weeks? Um, what was their schedule and um, how were they performing against that said schedule? Uh, what were some circumstances that you have to consider? And then I was basically trying to figure out where the markets could overvalue or undervalue um, certain teams. So that was basically my, my starting point back in 2011. Um, and that's basically the, the core concept. We are always trying to figure out which teams are overvalued and which teams are undervalued in the marketplace. Um, Nowadays, you are dealing with a lot more data. You have EPA, you have DVOA. Um, you, and also, I think my knowledge of the game is, is evolving. So there's every season I learn more about the sports. I learn more about what is signal, what is noise. Um, where do I have to put more focus on? Um, what is something that I can basically put aside and not um, think about it anymore? And um, that's basically, I would describe where I'm evolving over the years. How much subjective analysis goes into what you do? Because it, it sounds like you come up with your number on the game and um, you compare it to obviously what's being offered in the market and you're going to bet where you have a difference. But, um, you know, three or four years ago when I was betting the NFL, I was betting purely numbers. 
And then there was the one season where the Cleveland Browns covered like two games against the spread where I bet them like a dozen times. And I'm like, I need to stop doing this to myself. There's probably something I'm missing with this team. Um, And I started to incorporate a little bit more subjective analysis and even just using a lot more feel in betting the NFL, as weird as that sounds coming from a, a numbers guy. I'm curious as to your process uh, obviously, you're working with a lot of data. You're trying to interpret that data as as best as you possibly can. But how much of what you do is like the human element being incorporated into it, and your and your process, you know, kind of not being solely reliant on just the number that you make of a game. Actually, it's the major part. So I would probably say like at least eighty percent is completely subjective. Um, like I said, I've been. Uh, trying to build models over the past three years, but um, I'm not a super coder, so my skills are limited. And I was only able to build, let's say, a team level NFL model for spreads. But even though those models that I've built um, returned um, a profit against the pinnacle closing line when backtesting, I think that in 2021, you cannot be successful betting the NFL when you rely on a team level model. Um, I just don't think that that this is working anymore um, because all the data that you could possibly get is already in the market. And um, there's so much context that you have to understand when betting NFL, in my opinion, which makes it, in my opinion, impossible to incorporate everything into a team team level model. I can give an example. Uh, 2019, um, the Chiefs were flooded with injuries. Patrick Mahomes had two injuries, the kneecap, the high ankle sprain that he re-aggravated against the Colts um, prior to halftime. Um, Tyreek Hill was missing five games. Um, Eric Fisher was out, I think, for like seven or eight games. Andrew Wiley was out. Uh, Sammy Watkins was banged up. And it was just not the same Chiefs team that we were expecting going to the season. Um, so the question becomes, what do you do with the in-season data? Because that in-season data, when everyone is hurt, doesn't really reflect what this team is going to do when they are all healthy. So no matter what team level number or team level data you can incorporate into your model, it's not going to be right. It's, it's simply to, going to be wrong. And I think you have that subjective element to correct what your team level model gives you. So I think that every team level model that you could you, you could build is probably flawed in, in many ways. And that way I, I have to incorporate all the subjective analysis that um, I can. And that might sound weird, but um, I would always trust my intuition more than any model that I could build. So on Monday morning, you could give me the schedule for the upcoming Sunday. Uh, with a pen and the paper and the numbers that I would um, just write down purely based on intuition would probably better than any model that I could possibly build. So um, there's that. And also when it comes to the NFL, in my experience, in my, in, in my opinion, we are dealing with, with different matchups, with 16 different matchups every week and every matchup between team A and team B is different. So um, I think we are dealing with a lot of non-linearities, so, so to speak, um, because let's say I create a subjective power rating, which I do and which I use every Monday morning. 
Um, and I might have a linear relationship between two teams. So let's say I make team A minus two against an average team and team B minus uh, 0.05. Uh, so that would be minus 1.5 on a neutral field. But when I dig into the matchup and I find that maybe team A has a significant advantage in the trenches on both sides of the ball, they could still have the same number in my power rating. But for that specific matchup, I would make an subject a subjective adjustment because that um, advantage in the trenches um, isn't uh, reflected in that linear relationship from my power rating. So I have to make these um, subjective adjustments. Um, another example would be last season. I think it was a Saturday uh, builds at Broncos um, and the Broncos, they had, they didn't have a single starting cornerback anymore. Um, Adrian Burry, uh, Bryce Callahan, they were on IR, I guess. And the, the, the Broncos are basically playing with practice squad cornerbacks against the Bills. So um, I already downgraded the Broncos in my power rating for their cornerbacks being out. But now they were playing against an elite passing attack that uh, loves to run all those uh, four wide receiver sets and Brian Dable um, calling the highest passing rate on neutral downs in the league. So that's a, a matchup advantage that's not linear anymore. It's, it's in my opinion, a non-linear effect that we have to deal with uh, because that matchup is basically, I don't know how the Bills are going to punt in that game. So um, maybe my power rating said to make the Bills uh, minus six and a half that game, but I was probably coming up with, I don't know, minus seven and a half or something. So um, that's basically all that goes into it. Um, my approach, I like to use a team level model as a supporting tool, but most of my work is in the subjective department. I remember that Bills game almost like it was yesterday because I felt like I was on a lonely island with the Bills and couldn't understand why everyone loved the Broncos in that game other than um, the oh, 85% of the public is betting Buffalo type of situation, which we've dismissed on a uh, earlier episode of Circles Off. But I, I that was one of those games where I felt like I handicapped it correctly, pat myself on the back, which was nice. Um, Suma, a couple weeks ago, I think, Late July, we had Eddie Walls on here, um, who takes a very similar approach to you, but in, in college football. And uh, he talked about um, no one's going to outwork him type of th I think that was a quote from, from him exactly. Like, my edge is the amount of time I put in. No one's going to outwork me in college football. I know that. Um, you know, I, I start my, my year 15 days after the college football season ends. Uh, I'm curious what your year looks like, essentially. So the Super Bowl ends. Uh, Tampa Bay beats Kansas City last year. How soon are you looking at the next season and starting to get into the, uh, you know, getting your team power ratings together, potentially looking at which players can move all over the place? Um, how how quickly does that become a thing for you? Uh, basically, one day after after the Super Bowl, which <laughs> sounds crazy, but um, to be honest, from the Super Bowl until the NFL draft, um, I don't spend as much time on football. I try to go to bed way earlier than during the season and enjoy some free time. But um, for example, I'm, I have a Slack group with some German football nerds. Um, also a few guys that uh, work on football full-time in any capacity as a journalist or whatever. And after the Super Bowl, we already talk about the next season, about the draft and about some off-season changes, um, whatever. And then... Um, mid-March free agency starts and after free agency I try to compile my power rating um, basically doing an initial rating where I think every team stands 
um, also already having done some having done some let's say review work where I go through last season, um, look at data, look at numbers, uh, look at which teams had overperformed, which teams had terrible injury injury luck, um, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, right after free agency, I basically start putting together my rating. And from that on, there's going to be the NFL draft. Um, and right after, right after the draft, probably in May, I start to dig into every team uh, basically spending several hours a day um, digging into one team each at a time, um, studying the depth chart, um, looking what I could be missing fr from last season, where teams have changed, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I also um, write down a preview on every team that I post into my Slack channel. Um, and I think writing down a team preview also helps me articulating my my thoughts or all my thoughts that I have uh, in my mind and basically helps me um, even understanding some teams better because um, let's say I want to write about the offensive line of the Falcons and I want to write about uh, rookie center Drew Delman um, who had some very good scouting reports and could execute that outside zone scheme from Arthur Smith. That's something I have to dig in and um, writing these previews really helped me to dig a little bit deeper than I would, would probably usually do. For those players in particular, like rookies coming up, I'm assuming you're leaning on a lot of the other content that's been published in the space. And and that's the main thing I've noticed. Uh, the biggest difference I've noticed over the course of uh, the past 10 years, I used to write content um, for the NFL. I used to write a 5,000 word article every single week that would literally take me an entire day to write um, and I would have to prep for it beforehand. Uh, but the emergence of content um, has been uh, like exponential, I guess would be a, a word I would use over the last few years or so where you just have so much different stuff in the space. Um, it's not just fantasy advice anymore. There's a lot more centered around betting, but there's the emergence of sites like uh, PFF where the, I mean, you look at PFF site five years ago, to where it is now and it's it's night and day and there's a lot of others in the space um how close you know how closely do you pay attention to these other sites in the space is there stuff that you religiously use is there stuff that you avoid i'm just curious as to what other content you're paying attention to yeah so there are several um sites and content that i use uh, first of all i'm a big podcast guy so every time i drive in my car or i i work out i'm i'm basically list listening to any kind of podcast whether it's um, the PFF forecast from George Shahuri and Eric Eager, uh, the PFF NFL show, the athletic football show from Robert Mays, or some fantasy stuff. Um, all, all that kind of stuff is really interesting and um, helps you find some little information pieces that you wouldn't find otherwise. Um, I use Pro Football Focus religiously. Um, I think their grading system is not perfect and there are always some flaws that you have to know. But overall, I think it's basically the, the best grading uh, information that you could possibly get. Because even though we watch a lot of football, uh, it's impossible to get a clue about the performance level of all 22 players on a field. Um, so PFF really helps me to... Um, I don't want to know whether Jalen Ramsey has a 74 or 89 grade, but I, I want to know whether the third 
a cornerback on the Falcons um, is a is a scrub or has some potential based on his rookie season, for example. So that's the kind of stuff I want to know. Um, so PFF re religiously um, in June, or I think it was July, um, the football outsider's almanac comes out every year. So that's something where I read all 32 team chapters and make some notes. And you always find some information nugget that you could really use when it comes to, to the NFL season. Um, the Athletic is a great resource where you have all those beat writers consistent, consistently writing stories about their teams. Um, Esterish the One uh, from Evan Silva and Adam Leviton. I mean, I'm not a big fantasy guy. I, I play like in in some um, home leagues, some dynasty and some baseball leagues, but they have some very good content on their site that you could also, th that you can also use for, for sports betting. Um, and that's basically the, the main stuff that I'm focusing on and always Twitter. Twitter is the best resource. Um, there are so many film guys posting all their content where they study some players and teams and post clips online and all those beat writers digging into their team. So um, I would describe those as the main resources. Yeah, got it. That's interesting. I, I agree completely. Twitter is an unbelievable resource, um, but it's good to, you know, I've never heard that angle before. So it's like you're saying, you know, even the gradings aren't, per even though they're not perfect, they're good enough in certain levels of things. I think, you know, anyone listening might be able to relate that to other sports as well, right? Does like 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 Sue mentioned, doesn't matter if it's perfect as long as it's better than what's available. You can still find value and potentially still find an edge. Uh, so obviously you watch a lot of football, Suma. I know, I know myself and Rob do as well. I'm up early every Sunday. I'm getting fired up. Um, I got the three screen setup going with the fourth on the side. I I tilt the mountain uh, on the fourth screen. Put all the cable boxes, and then it's just a a, a fiasco at one o'clock. Uh, but I know it's, you know, right now we're recording this uh, late afternoon. I know it's it's pretty late for you there. How, what, like, you know, with the time difference, first off, uh, but second off, how is your your football, you know, routine? Well, what goes into it and, you know, what time is it? So right now it's um, uh, 10.30 in the evening. Um, I am six hours ahead of the East Coast. So when the 1 p.m. game start, it's 7 p.m. Uh, in the evening for me. Um, so you got nine primetime games sometimes. Love <laughs> Basically, that. yeah. <laughs> so um, usually on, on Sunday, I start watching games at um, 7 p.m. my time. And I watch until the s Sunday night game where I at some point fall asleep. Um, and that's basically 3 a.m. in the morning for me, somewhere around that. And then um, my son wakes me up around like 7 <laughs> or something like that. And... Uh, then I grab uh, three, four, five coffees and an energy. And then I start grinding the schedule of the upcoming week. And um, sometimes I work until the night or late in the evening. And when it comes to those night games, let's say I have a bet on Thursday night football, I'm automatically going to watch it. And then I would go to bed like at 11 in the evening, set an alarm for to 10 or 2.15 in the morning and uh, watch the game. And I think the downside from September to January is that I'm tired all the week. Um, but in the end, there's nothing that coffee can't fix. How, how does the wife deal with that, Suma? That's actually not a big issue. Um, I think the only thing that's 
not nice is that sometimes I have to work until late in the night um, because when it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon, uh, NFL practices kick off and the information flow um, goes until like um, 11 or midnight my time. So I have to stay awake and um, try to get all the information ready. Um, that's sometimes, a little, a little, let's say, not very great, but all the other stuff, watching games at night, uh, she doesn't really care about. And um, even though I'm a little bit tired on weekdays, uh, that's also not an issue. Yeah, got it. So so here's what I want to know. It's a bit of a stupid question. When you wake up at 2 in the morning or 2.30 in the morning, I know if I've ever had to do that, I just fall back right back asleep. Now, there's probably few things that I would wake up for. I mean, I'll tell a quick story here. Actually, my um, my fantasy football league, I'm in I'm in uh, one league. We, we, we take it very, very seriously. Uh, wherever you can get an edge, you get it. And uh, in, in our league, what happens is that we play on ESPN and ESPN uh, removes the waivers where you can claim a guy through waivers and puts all those players into free agency at uh, precisely 3.43 a.m. And recently they moved it and now it's variable, which is a big mess. But for years, uh, there'd be at least like eight of the 12 members of my league. If you were looking to claim a guy on free agency without burning your waiver order, you'd wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Um, you'd refresh your phone or your computer for four minutes until that happened. And then you'd pick up a guy. And then right after that, I go directly back to bed and there was no hope of me staying up for, for four hours. So I want to ask you when you wake up at two 30, how do you get fired up for the game? Like, so it's probably crushing a coffee. Do you grab food? Like you watch the game downstairs or the wife's upstairs. Like what happens? Uh, to be honest, when I wake up, um, and I know I have a stake on the game and, my pulse is probably at 100 already. Uh, and usually I, I just grab my iPad and watch the game from my bed. Um, and that's pretty much it. So if I have a stake on the game. So to be honest, if I didn't bet a Thursday night football game, I wouldn't um, get up in the night. So I would just watch it in the morning, um, check the score, watch it on um, Game Pass, the 40 version, and um, that's it. But if I have a stake on the game and if I, if I bet a game, I'm, I, I can get up at 2.15 uh, in the morning and I'm 100% awake. So you're just a, bet, a, a lover of betting. You're just a passionate for the game, for the love of the game, basically. Yeah. Co commitment to the craft. I mean, Johnny is the type of guy where I book an 8 a.m. tea time for us and this guy is like rolling his eyes like I can't be up that or shows up to the course like four minutes after I've already teed off. Looks like he slept for like three hours. So maybe he's not the right guy that's to, to wake up in the middle of the night and stay awake. But yeah, that's uh, that happened pretty, pretty recently, actually. All right, Sumo, um, I have to get into it. This is circles off. We ask the hard questions here. We don't just uh, bring on our friends and, and pump their egos or anything like that. Um, I mentioned it earlier. You run a subscription service. Um, people would call you a tout um, in the space. And I think by definition, you are. Uh, there was a flow chart that circulates through Twitter that was made famous by uh, someone named Sprager back in the day as to why you should never buy picks from a tout. Um, and I think anyone who looks at your public records and sees the four seasons you've had publicly would say, if you're winning at this rate, then why are you touting? 
Yeah, good question. I think the, the simplest uh, answer would be money. <laughs> um, but there are some more nuances to it. And I, I want to really get into it because that's, that's a question that um, I got a lot in the past, over the past four years. Um, so first of all, what people have to know is that in Germany, when you are an employee, you get a monthly salary and you automatically pay income taxes, health insurance and into the public retirement fund. Um, when you are self-employed, you don't have the benefits. You can uh, pay into the retirement fund. You have to take care of health insurance yourself, which is a lot more expensive than if you were an employee. Um, but uh, in Germany, if you are self-employed and you do something like art or music or journalism, you get the same benefits as every employee in Germany, where you can just uh, pay your taxes, your um, health insurance, which is pretty cheap that way. And you can pay into the public retirement fund um, just because you're doing a job like a musician um, doing arts or journalism or whatever. And yes, I sell pics, but I also produce a lot of content around that. So um, I have a lot of written analysis. For example, if you sign up right now, you have access to my 77-page uh, team preview for the season where I broke down all 32 teams. Uh, during the regular season, I, I give out a written analysis on all my official picks. And I also upload a podcast every week where I break down the entire card. And that way, I fall into the category of journalism in Germany. So um, that's basically my public job where I pay taxes, um, health insurance, and into the public retirement fund. So that's basically my steady income, um, which I can rely on. Um, and now to the question why I do it with, if I could win money betting NFL. Um, I only bet NFL. I, I bet, um, or let's say I place 130 bets a year on sites and totals, maybe some draft props, maybe some team totals. Um, and everyone can do the math in their head right now, everyone who's listening. Um, let's say my yearly average was 12 units of profit in the NFL. So everyone can now do the math in his head. What would my unit size have to be if I would make, or if I wanted to make a living simply betting the NFL? What would my um, unit size be on, on 12 units return? And then you can calculate what your theoretical bankroll has to be um, to make a living from 12 units. And that's not, that's not a lot of volume. And I'm not a big better, um, to be completely honest with you. And um, let's say I have a below average year and I win six units. Let's say, I don't know, four or 5% ROI, six units, which would be a solid outcome in general. Um, so I would have to deal with negative variance where I cannot rely on my um, winnings or let's say on my average winnings for an NFL season but almost every subscriber would still make money and would probably still find value in my season-long analysis and breakdowns on all the games. So it's a win-win situation. So why in the world should I not sell picks would be my counter-argument. So yeah, I, guess I, I understand question. that. And I think it's, it's a rational argument that you put together. I will say um, when I first took note of you three years ago, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, maybe I am, but I believe that your releases were not moving the market. 
Whereas I think now, especially last year, um, anytime you did post a play to, to your Slack channel, uh, within five minutes, the, the, the market was, I don't want to say it was gone. It's not like somebody was, you know, the number was completely taken out, moved from minus three to minus six, but you would, you would definitely see that there was a tick, um, at pretty much every, uh, every outlet possible. Um, has there, uh, is there any concern on your end that possibly the subscribers are, are not able to get down at, at the numbers that you release? Has that been something that has ever been echoed to you, uh, from people who subscribe to your service? Uh, yes, absolutely. I think about that every time, especially early, early in the season or when you, when you release picks early in the week on Mondays or Tuesday, it, it could get really ugly for people who are, let's say five minutes late, but, um, I will say that it's impossible for every subscriber to get the same price as what my release is. It's just impossible. It's it's just not going to happen that you um, can get every pick at the same price as soon as you are two minutes late. Um, it's it, the the actual price is probably gone. I know that, um, and we talk about that in the Slack channel. Sometimes um, guys are able to pick up some stale numbers at local books where they even get a better price than what my release was. But if you are betting entirely offshore or you're betting at some skins that um, are well connected to Chris or Pinnacle lines, it's basically impossible to get the same number if you are a few minutes too late. Um, to be honest, I, I had like three or four complaints last year. So I don't think that's a big issue for subscribers in general. And I will also say, uh, even though people will not be able to get the same line as I do, let's say, let's say I had like 2% closing line value on NFL sites and totals last year, the average subscriber will probably still get, let's say, 1.5% 1, 1. of closing line value. And we're also pretty good in the, in the category of return close which um, our friend PlusCB Analytics had a phenomenal article a few weeks ago where he um, differentiated between the guys who try to beat the closing line, between the guys who just focus on return on close. So I think overall, even though people will not be able to, on average, get the same price as I release, I think they still find a lot of value in that subscription service. That article he wrote was a lot better than his golf game because me and Johnny played with him that weekend and he was struggling out there as uh, Joe Namath would have said. Um, Suma, so like I, I have the, that tout chart I was referring to earlier up in front of me, right? Um, I guess maybe this is me playing some, doing some of your defense for you, but I, I respect what you do. I've worked with you now um, in doing some content and we talk pretty regularly, but where this chart breaks down for me, and this is one of the arguments that I've always had, is you get to a point where it says, do the lines move when he bets them? Yes or no? So we're going to take the path of yes for you. And it says, to the extent that there was ever any value in the picks, it's gone by the time you bet. You're getting minus EV leftovers while this asshole front runner is getting the good stuff. Fuck him. Don't give him a penny. Whereas... My argument to this is that, and I've seen the, the closing line value on your plays just in general, it is possible that they're getting worse numbers. That doesn't mean that they're minus EV. And I think that's where this argument falls short. And it's the same for the people who complain about right angle sports in general, where if you look at how far some of those numbers move, okay, yeah, you're not getting the exact same number at release in some cases, but you're still getting a number that is vastly beating the closing line. 
And one more thing I will say, and why I really respect what you do, whether whether you know some people don't like the touting or not, is that your plays are graded against Pinnacle and Chris, which are the two sharpest sports books out there that are taking big bets. And what I found last year is oftentimes you'd find I I'd say more often than not you're able to find a number on an existing offshore in a regulated market that is better than the number that you're giving out, um, and that was that happened quite frequently. So um, I, I don't know. I, this is not a question. I just wanted to to get it out there because I think that's kind of where this like tout flow chart breaks down, just in general. Um, but yeah, I, I understand the the concerns people might have with all the line movement that's there. But I I think it's just very difficult. Um, to argue against consistent results. Um, and even if somebody was getting a worse number, we can easily calculate what that comes out to. And I think it's still a pretty hell of a good return for uh, subscribers. So um, then go ahead, Johnny. Yeah, I, I was just going to ask Suma. So like you're, you're selling picks, obviously. Um we wouldn't have you on if you were a quote unquote scumbag tout. Um, you wouldn't be a friend of Rob's. You wouldn't be a friend of ours. Um, I will say you are exhibiting all of the things of what we would call responsible touting in a sense that um, there's no pics being deleted. You're not past posting. You're transparent on when the releases are going to happen and at what numbers they're going to be at. Always grading against at the time of release a pinnacle or a Chris number, which as Rob mentioned, uh, if you take a look at Betstamp right now, uh, and just sort for week one lines and, uh, you know, put Pinnacle and Chris in there. You're, you're going to see that Pinnacle or Chris is going to be, you know, not the best line for almost every single game across the book. So to Rob's point, even if you are posting against Pinnacle and Chris, um, if you're beating those lines, that means you're going to be able to beat almost every line in the game, uh, given that those other lines, you know, if you're picking off a few of the regulated books or a few offshores are going to be much softer. So I'd say you're doing all the right things. Um, and like I mentioned, we wouldn't have you on if, if we didn't uh, believe that as well. But the question is, if you are having success in the, in the game right now as a better, uh, at what point will or will you ever stop touting uh, and kind of remove the stigma of maybe being grouped in with some of the more quote unquote scumbag touts in the game. Um, yes, there could definitely be a scenario in, in which I would stop selling picks. Um, I, I, I love to produce content uh, on the NFL, uh, whether it's written on podcasts or on video. And if at some point someone approached me and um, offered me a good deal, let's say a good financial de deal where I needed to stop selling pigs or, or selling that content and uh, produced that, that same content on a different audience um, without all the paywalls and um, basically not letting others pay for the pigs, I would probably do that. Um, I had no issue stopping that, but at the same time, right now it also makes a lot of fun. But um, if someone came across and said, hey, we are offering you um, that same amount of money that you are making from subscriptions uh, for doing, let's say, some public content or whatever, I would probably at least think about it. Um, interesting that you mentioned that because uh, I think a, a lot of uh, people in the, I don't want to say a lot of people, but there are people in this space, including myself, that got recognized based off of... Um, lines moving whenever they post something, uh, just a, a, a track record of 
having some positive impact or on the market or or whatever. And as far as I'm aware, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, you're mainly working alone. I mean, I haven't heard you mention a partner or working as part of a larger operation. Um, have you been approached by others to partner up? Uh, and if so, you know, why, why continue to work alone? Um, I'm not working alone anymore. Um, I got approached for, for the first time uh, before the 2019 season. Um, that was kind of a larger group that offered me a free wall. Um, if I basically um, send them my place pre-release and um, give them su some other insights from my work. Um, but that was not really a smooth process. Um, we only worked together like um, seven or eight weeks into the season. Um, and then it suddenly um, stopped. Uh, I didn't see a single penny <laughs> from that uh, collaboration. Oh, welcome to the industry, Suma. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, and... Um, then basically the approaches started getting more frequently um, guys who want to free roll me for pre-releases um, and i started to work together with some guys um, some guys were really good smooth process um, everything went well i got paid at the end of the season um, some others didn't uh, really want to pay after the season and right now name sumo we need to name names here <laughs> I don't want to put a name, but I think um, a certain share of the audience can maybe spot that person. Mm -hmm. um, but I I don't want to talk badly about anyone on a pod podcast um, if he can't defend himself. So um, we'll leave it at this. Um, but um, right now I'm working together, let's say, with a group um, where I'm pretty um, excited about, which, which ma makes a lot of fun. Um, where we pretty uh, basically um, bet my stuff or bet my picks before the release without moving the market. And then I go on and release that um, to my subscribers. Interesting, Suma. It's been uh, great chatting with you and talking to you about your process in general. Um, funny enough, I don't think I've actually ever shared this with you. I think I've shared this with Johnny before. But the first time I ever heard you speak... I don't remember which podcast it was, but I remember you pronounced Pinnacle as, as Pinnacle. And I was in my head, I was thinking like, who is this clown? What am I listening to? Um, and it's funny that years later, um, we're actually friends, but I, I do remember that pretty vividly and had a, a good laugh over that one. Yeah, was, I think it was on the deep dive with Andy and uh, Drew. Was, was it? Okay. Yeah, Pinnacle. I'll never forget that one. And we all we all have things that will never live down. Um, and obviously, actually, you know what? This is a question for you. Like, do you do you learn English in German school growing up? Because you actually speak pretty fluent English. Uh, yes, we start learning it in I think uh, fifth grade, um, and until you finish um, high school. So so you pretty much learn it for seven or eight years. Uh, I was always a very lazy. A student so <laughs> i didn't really care about it and i had no interest uh, interest in talking english in poems or something like that or reading some of those stupid books in school um and at some point when i started digging more into u.s sports and football um, i just started reading english basically for several hours every day i started talking to lots of americans and canadians for example and I've reached a point where I'm thinking in English 
when I think about football, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, I, I understand that. Yeah. Every time, every time I think about football, I basically think in my head or talk to myself in English, but I don't think that I could talk fluently about any other topics like politics or something like that. I mean, it's pretty impressive regardless. I mean, Johnny, we're in Canada and we live in a multilingual country where we had to take French in school from grade one all the way through high school. And I can't speak a lick of French right now. Like if I had, I mean, a little bit, I could maybe to get by. And I, I've been to Montreal a few times. Luckily, they they speak English more than French over there. But no, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive to be able to get to that level Um even like even just learning in school, but you know, not having not practicing it on a daily basis, I guess. Um, I, think, I think that's the hardest part. Um, you, you, you just l- learn all those words in school, and then you suddenly um, have to talk t- about some stupid books or poems or stuff like that, and not really the meaningful uh, topics in life, so to speak. Yeah, it's tough to learn something if you're not using it on a day-to-day basis because you you only have a limited amount of time in the day. So, you know, to learn French when I don't need to learn it and I, and I have no passion to do it, you know, what, how am I going to be motivated to do that? Where at the other end with Suma here, you know, all these articles, pro football focus, I don't know, but like, listen, maybe you can translate it and is what it is uh, with an online translator, but they don't publish a lot of German content as far as last time I checked. So, you know, if you want to be, watching these videos, you know, on Twitter, following beat reporters that you have to learn English. So I, I think that's kind of where the necessity stems from. But uh, yeah, your, your English has, you know, come a long way even in the last couple of years, but uh, good for you. I wanted to give you a chance to um, promote, uh, you know, the picks that you're selling. Uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, we want to give you the platform. Where do you sell your picks? Where can people get them? Um, the floor is yours. Yeah, so you can approach me on Twitter um, at S-U-U-M-A. 810. Um, I have a um, website, football-handicapping.com. It's basically just a landing page where you can sign up. And after signing up, you get a link to my Slack channel where I will add you. And that's where I post all my picks and analysis. And we have great discussions during the season with the community. Um, I, I really enjoy that. Um, and I also send my picks on Betstamp. <laughs> Shameless plug. Um, that was what I was hoping for. That was what I was hoping for and, when I gave and, you the floor. And we take no commission. You get all of the sales, Suma. That's true. That's true. And that's not just for Suma, for the record. It's for everybody. But go ahead. <laughs> yes. Um, there you can basically buy a monthly or yearly package um, di- directly in the app. I think it's at Fabian Sommer. It's basically my, my first and second name, at, at first name, second name. And that's that's my profile. I think I started tracking all my bets on Betstamp. Um, I think in week nine last season, and I I will continue automatically have to track every bet there because I'm I'm selling my picks there, and I will also use that platform for all my tracking going forward because I'm I'm on the Betstamp podcast, but I'm completely honest, it's a great app. We appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, we approached Suma last year to, to sell on the on the platform in addition. And I think one thing that speaks volume to anybody who is selling picks as well is if they are willing to be transparent about it. Um, there is always going to be people selling picks. Whether you want to buy something from Sumo or not is your choice. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think everyone uh, owes respect to Suma and anybody else 
who, you know, like like Ed from Right Angle Sports as well, who is willing to be transparent about the picks he's releasing. So, Sumo, we thank you for posting on Betstamp. Uh, I know you're posting on at the same time as the release. So anyone who is purchasing on Betstamp uh, is getting a direct notification in the app as well at the same time of release. And they've got, you know, that couple minute window um, at the minimum before, you know, everything starts to evaporate. So we, we appreciate you posting on Betstamp. Uh, anyone who wants to buy them, you can one click direct in the app and, and all that money is going direct to Suma. I just checked out FabianSolmer.com just to see what was up. Some like kids clothing site. I don't know. That was a big miss, Suma. You should have secured that domain, man. That thing's going to blow up. As your following blows up, people are visiting this kid's clothing site. It's pretty uh, It's pretty weird. But uh, yeah. Anyway, Suma. Let's... Not from me. <laughs> no. No. I, I actually, I mean, it's, it's a well-made site. I will say that. But um, anyways, that's going to get like five times the traffic this week. And they're going to wonder why. Um all right, Suma, let's end with this. Um, if you could go back five years and talk to a previous version of yourself, what piece of advice would you give to your former self? I would probably tell my old self to promote 500 unit whale place on Twitter uh, because <laughs> it's probably a great selling strategy. Uh, no jokes aside, um, I would probably tell my old self to dig more into props in general um, because I think even though you can't get down as much, it's, it's, there are some pretty solid markets to beat. Um, and I would tell myself to focus more on networking because I think networking in this industry is everything, whether you want to try to get more down, you want to try to get more down at some um, different places where you don't have access to, or just the, just the optimization of information flow, um, just working together with some guys during the season on a daily basis, um, is so impactful. Um, and that's pretty much, um, what I would tell my old self that's a that's actually a piece of advice that we haven't heard yet with the um the closing question and i mean we're, we're living that in real life this week me and johnny are headed to new jersey for bet bash and like i don't want i don't want to hang out with spanky for four or five hours i'm there to network with other people you know um and i mean it's it's i owe a lot of what i have today to building relationships um through people in person and i think there's uh, and over the internet i should say uh and i think that's uh, a very interesting piece of advice that often goes overlooked. So um, thanks for joining us today, Suma. Uh, all the best during NFL season. Hopefully, I mean, you have to live up to that 7.5% ROI this year. There's a there's a lot of pressure. I don't know if you're feeling it going into the year, but um, uh, yeah. Suma, thank you for uh, for coming on the podcast. We uh, look forward to you know a good NFL season and wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you guys very much for having me on. And I had a blast talking to you and I also wish you lots of success going forward, uh, not only in the NFL and NHL seasons and in the prop markets, but also with Badstamp. Thanks. Much appreciated. Please rate and review five stars. This has been episode 22 of Circles Off. <laughs>